Hey friends, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this message today. Everything that the Lord shows me is designed to impact people's lives and advance the kingdom in a mighty way. My prayer is that you would be so blessed and so rooted and so established in the more that the Lord has in store for your life. And remember, stay fired up! The title of my message this morning for Sunday, November 20th, 2016 is Wonder and Hunger. Wonder and Hunger. And this is part one of a series that I'll be doing for the next several weeks. And the premise of this message is the understanding that if you don't have wonder in your life and you're not fascinated by the Lord daily, you're not going to be hungry. And we have so many Christians that have lost their passion and their desire and their hunger to spend time with the Lord and read their Bible and to really get to know him. What a lot of preachers do to remedy that is they beat the congregants over the head with, you should be hungry, you should be more disciplined, what's the matter with you? You should be reading your Bible more, praying more. And I already know as a pastor, dealing with a lot of people, that it's a struggle and a challenge in everyday life to stay spiritually disciplined. I understand. I have a two-year-old and a three-year-old, several coffee shops, a growing church, a shopping center, my wife, my life, time with the Lord, my mom, who I'm taking care of, so I have a lot going on. But if I don't learn to live from a place of rest and peace, I'll be running from an empty cup. And wore out leaders, wear out people. And the last thing I want to do is wear you out. And the last thing I want to do is put pressure on you. I want to challenge you. But the best way that I can challenge you and the best way that you can challenge someone else is by becoming something. Because it's out of who you are that you'll do what you're supposed to do. You just have to discover what that looks like. I teach a lot here at Rock City Church about living at the cross. I teach a lot about laying your life down and dying to self. I do that a lot. And I know that it can be tough to hear that message consistently. It can be hard to hear a constant die to self, die to self, die to self. And you're not going to be able to do it if you don't get some basic understandings. And most importantly, what it means to be fascinated, full of wonder, full of life, and full of joy. My mission is very clear, and I don't ever hide it. My intent with every single one of you, and I look around this room, trying to make eye contact with as many of you as I can, my number one desire is to see you set on fire for the Lord. I want you so lit up. I want you so full of passion and life and hungry. And I make no qualms about it. I'm out to get you. I'm out to be a contagious fire. I'm out, if you hang around me, that you get influenced. And of course, vice versa. But when you put ice next to fire, one thing's going down. And it's the ice. And so I have to remain full and on fire, not because, I, not because of duty, but because of love. I can't fake it. And I hate the term fake it till you make it. Because that's not authenticity. You don't have to fake it. This is a family. This is a community. Take off your Sunday best. Let's lay down the agenda and the time and the hurry. You'll be right back to your busy life in an hour. It never ends. 
But we take this moment to learn and to be challenged and to be taught and to grow and to recognize the vision and come closer together and to be quickened and awakened so that when you walk out of these doors, something's different. What a waste of time if we just come to church and something doesn't change or we're not challenged to live differently and then we do it. And that's my sole purpose and intent. But I live my life full of wonder. I'm fascinated by the Lord. And that is the first reason why I stay so fired up. And there's a lot of reasons why I'm fascinated. It's not just in looking through a telescope at the beauty of the moon or the stars or the sky or the universe or the sea. It's not just a rainforest or a tropical reef or the beauty of his creation, though those things fascinate me. The greatest thing that fascinates me is who he is and how much he loves and what he's done for me and what he does for you. But it can seem unattainable sometimes, can't it? You're busy, you got to get up early, you go to bed late, you're wore out. My days don't end usually until 1130 at night. I got my mom that I try to go see every night and help her. I got a dog to walk. I put my own kids to bed. I, my wife takes that time. She, when it's, she's done, she's done. Then I take over. And I've, we've developed this wonderful bedside routine that, honestly, I never want to miss. I don't want to miss my time with my children, ever, if I can keep from it. But my days are long. There's no snooze button with a two-year-old and a three-year-old. Day starts at 6.30 in the morning, and it goes all the way to 11.30 at night. But I've learned to make my priority the Lord, and I've learned what it means to commune with them, not just in compartmentalized time slots. You can't, it's 24-7, yeah. but you develop a secret place lifestyle that keeps your cup full so that I know him and I, I commune with him consistently, but I sow privately so that I reap publicly. Remember that. If you're looking to reap anything publicly, you better sow privately. And I sow privately not just for the purpose of reaping. I sow privately because I'm in love. If it's any other way, it's behavior modification. I don't want to massage your brain and give you the five points to get you into better behavior modification. I want you to be fascinated, full of love, and desirous. So it can be tough, I know. Being a disciple and the things that I challenge you to do every week can be tough. I understand that denying yourself and taking up your cross every day is a war. Being spirit-led and living at the cross and overcoming suffering or any form of persecution can be a real challenge if you want to live the way Jesus called you to live. But you can do it. Jesus gave clear expectations when it came to being a disciple. I teach on it a lot. It's Luke 9.23. And it's the understanding of if anybody wants to know Jesus and come after him, Three things are required, denying yourself, taking up your cross, and following him. But it's not a formula, it's a pattern. And the pattern is, if I'm not following him, I'll never be able to deny myself and take up my cross. So I do it together and in conjunction with the Lord. They're simple, but not formulistic. If at any time we lose sight of Jesus and abiding with him, we're all prone at any time to go astray, even me. I haven't attained Anything to the point of thinking that I've got it all figured out and I can ride or coast at any time in my life. I don't get it and then, man, I'm done. Your soul, which is your mind and your will and your emotions, the Bible says is at full-time war with your flesh. Then throw in some lies of the deceptive enemy and you got a war going on. 
the carnal nature or the flesh is always at odds or contrary. Everybody say contrary to the spirit. And so if you don't learn to be fascinated and full of the Holy Spirit continuously, and I'm not talking about so heavenly good that you're no earthly good. I'm not talking about talking Christianese lingo. You can't even have a normal conversation with somebody without them saying praise the Lord every other word. Praise the Lord. (laughs) But the point that I'm trying to make to you is that you become, and as you become and expand, God then expands what's in front of you and gives you the ability to transform the circumstances around your life. That's the premise of that. God first wants you to become, and then it's out of that place, out of your own personal expansion, he expands everything else around you. But your soul is longing for comfort. Everybody here wants to be comforted in one way or another, especially if you work long, hard days, especially if you aren't getting the encouragement and love and support you feel like through relationships, friendships, a spouse. It's easy to run to other comforts. And some, it's not necessarily bad, some of those comforts, like your favorite TV show or social media or spending time just checking out on your phone. I get that. But the Lord always has to be front and center in every area of your life because you don't get to check out from him. And he becomes your bridal, and he becomes the one that ultimately satisfies and fulfills you. Now, I love vacations. I love trips. I love to travel. I love sports. I love to hunt. I'm going hunting in a few weeks. I'm excited about that. I haven't hunted in a few years because of babies. I'm going to hunt several times this year, and I'm going to enjoy every minute of it, and I'm going to fully, fully just embrace that vacation. But I'm not checking out from the Lord ever, nor do I want to. But what I understand is that if I don't keep my soul full, then I'm always going to be prone to find comforts and pleasures in this world. It's simple. You are in a battle. You're in a war against the carnal nature. So flesh is carnal. Carnal is where we get the word carnivore, which is where we get the word animal nature, which is where we also get the word carnival. And a lot of people are living their lives like a circus. And a lot of you went, amen. Now I'm going to get real with you for a minute, all right? We got this circus jungle around us in the world, and you can't just isolate yourself in a little utopia Christian land God's called us to be lights to the darkness. So we're to go out into all the world and the highways and the byways, but we can only do that when we're full and we influence them and we crucify the animal, carnal, flesh, nature in our lives. Now, I still have this thing that wants to rise up. All I have to do is take five days, work full time, never spend time with the Lord, check out on social media, watch TV, movies all night long, and do my own thing for a short period of time and mark my words. Mark my words. If I do not get my daily bread and stay full and do my part too, I'm in the trenches with you. You are not alone. This isn't me and you. I don't get any special accolades for a pastor title. So drifting happens to anyone and everyone that doesn't stay full and consume their daily bread. But I want to keep you from drifting. I want to keep you from walking away. I want to keep you full. So we got to make sure to not lose sight. You have to sow to the Spirit constantly, and in turn, what that does is it pleases God, and it positions us for intimate relationship and great reward, which is what I'm going to talk about today. He has to be our daily delight. Everybody say, daily delight. delight. 
I know it sounds like a fresh bakery, but <laughs> Jesus is our fresh bakery, so we're going to get some fresh bread, all right? The greatest keys, if you're taking notes, you can write these down. The greatest keys to abiding daily and being spirit-led in all we do come from a few key understandings that I have learned, and I'm going to teach these to you. Sonship and identity is number one. If you don't know who you are and who he is, you're missing the whole thing. If you don't get good father, I'm a son, first, our father, Lord's Prayer, number two, first two words, our father. If you, some of you just need to focus on those two words until you get it. I'm a son, and what comes with sonship, and he's my daddy, and how does he take care of me and treat me? Get that. Many people say, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do or how to do it. I said, do you know how to be a dad? Do you love your kids? They say, yeah. I mean, we prophesied over a couple in Cancun sitting in the infinity pool on a little vacation we took. They came up, and he found out I was a pastor, which doesn't take long. And then I'm like, he said, I just feel like God cares more about everyone else than me. But he had, I had already heard him talk about his son, how much he loves his son, divorced, has a son, young son. I said, do you love your son? He goes, you have no idea. I said, that's how much God loves you. How much do you think about your son? He said, all the time. I said, that's how much God thinks about you. Bam, boo-hoo and crying, turned around, went off to the other side of the pool and had a cry session with the Lord. <laughs> that's all I said. I mean, I'm not that great. I'm just telling you that's just the simple understanding of it. Number two is finding pleasure and delight in the Lord. Number three, and I'll say these twice, understanding how the Father truly loves and feels about you. Number four, the Holy Spirit's active role in your everyday life. And number five, recognizing kingdom patterns, not formulas. Say them again. Number one, sonship and identity. Number two, finding pleasure and delight in him. Number three, understanding how the Father truly loves and feels about you. Number four, the Holy Spirit's active role in our everyday life. Number five, recognizing kingdom patterns and not formulas. Now, I know I talk about a lot of these things a lot, and I do that because repetition is the mother of all learning. The more I say it, the more you hear it, the more it gets into you. So I repeat it a lot. I also choose to focus on things that feed and sustain my life the most, and you have me, and I'm it. I'm your pastor for now. But you can choose to listen to other people like Bill Johnson or John Paul Jackson or people you like. There's a lot of great ministers and teachers. I'm not the only one. But more than anything, you should be consuming from the Bible, the Word, and getting your own personal revelation. But I choose to focus on these things because, one, our church is growing and so many new people are coming. Some of you are first-timers here today. Some of you live out of town and come maybe once a month. So I reiterate some of these points to keep it forefront in front of you. Never lose sight of identity, ever. Because when you understand John 1.12, that God gives you power or the right to become sons, it's the first thing is sonship and power, which is exousia authority. I have authority over the circumstances and the situations in my life because of Jesus. Okay? These understandings will keep you on fire. This is how you stay on fire. It's not a, I'm not any better than you. I'm not even any more anointed than you. I just seem more anointed or I'm walking in more of my anointing because I'm doing what I'm destined to do and I've chosen to lay my life down and embrace who God has made me to be. But if I try to pick up Nathan's guitar and lead worship, you all will say, 
I am not anointed, trust me. I am not, if I try to sing, we're in trouble. Just ask my wife. She's like, yeah. She, I'm one tone, monotone. Now I'm trying to change it up at house and be a better singer so when she hears me, I sing better. It doesn't work. I think I'm doing better and she's like, man, you sing so bad. And then I sing a little louder. We just have fun at our house. But see, you, 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 you embrace who God has made you to be because the gifts from God are irrevocable. So you're already anointed, yeah. all of you. I just have to pull it out of you and help you discover it. And then when you get with the Lord, suddenly you start firing on all cylinders and you're a well-oiled machine. That's why this church is growing. People are going, aha. Oh, really? Oh, my gosh, there is more. Oh, wow. I'm fascinated. And then, bam, we're popping like popcorn. That's what's happening. This church is popping. We, that's a good statement. This church is popping. Today, I just want to focus on a couple scriptures quickly on point number two, my second point of those five. And that second point today is finding your pleasure and delight in God, hence wonder and hunger. In the beginning, God gave mankind their first job description. I always love going back to original intent. I love looking at the garden. I love looking at how things start. If I ever counsel you or spend time with you or we get into relationship with you, I always look at the beginning of a thing. Whenever I see people spun out in their life, living in the carnival, and they're the clown for the moment, I'm like, let's figure out how you became that clown, and let's get you out of that costume. Really, I don't call people clowns. I'm making a point. The point is, is people are all dressed up, living their life in a way they're not intended to be, and they don't know who they really are. And so oftentimes, we look at childhood. It doesn't mean you have to relive all your past, but it does mean that we have to discover how did we get here? How did a drug addict get, or an alcoholic or an abuser get to this place? Everybody say, bad root, bad fruit. And so we look for root systems, and we look, how did this get into your life, and how can we get it out? Amen? All right. And so I love looking at the garden. Would you believe I've never actually taught you on this little thing I'm about to show you, which is man's original job description? It's not the original promise from God. I talk about that all the, lo- all the time and, and his command and how we're to live and be. That's Genesis 1.28. But today, I'm going to talk about Genesis 2.15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to do what? To tend and to keep. To tend and to keep. The word tend is also the word to dress. Okay? It means that we dress the garden, and we tend the garden, and the word in Hebrew is abad, and it means to serve and to work. God had work in mind right from the very beginning. Everybody here is supposed to be working. The question is, is what kind of work are you supposed to be doing, and are you doing God's intended work over your life? That's the real question. So to serve and to work, to till, it means to be subject to and to be worked. The premise is, is that God would be your employer and that you would also be led and enticed to serve. Everybody say enticed. And we'll talk about what it means to be enticed in just a moment, not from a seductive way, but from the premises that God knew the best way to get you to do work, not through laborious tasks. And in the beginning, God created everything. Think about this for a moment. 
He created man, really woman, but man last. Did you know that? Man was the last thing created. And then everything that God had already created, the garden and everything in it and all of creation, he gave to man. So he created all that first. Then It didn't go man, then creation. The understanding is that God created it all and then put man in the midst of it and the mist of the garden, the place of the garden, would be a pleasurable, delightful place because that's what Eden means. And so he would say, here, take what I have already done. He would provide the rain. He would provide the sun. He would pr provide the nutrients and walk and talk with man to tend the garden. And he would, he would fascinate us in a way that would make us want to do it. Now, the garden then is much different than the garden today. But the premise still applies. And what I'm going to teach you today still applies to today. There's a garden all around. But this garden around today is really tainted. There's a lot of darkness, isn't there? Brokenness, addiction, hurt, pain, darkness, dysfunction, man dominating over man. All kinds of things are happening in the garden today. But we still have a job to work. Wednesday night, I said something really powerful, and I want to reiterate this point. When Jesus walked up to the fishermen along the sea, and he called them to him, he said, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. I want to give you a thought to think about in the context of that, that instead of just making you a heralding evangelist on the street corner, which that is part of our call to do it in a right way, not a dysfunctional way of telling people they're going to hell and bullhorns on a soapbox. But we evangelize, we witness to our community and the people around us. But here's the, what I believe. I believe you're a musician. I believe that the Lord says, hey, you've been playing that way for your career, but I have another career for you, and now you're going to play for me. I believe he said, hey, you found your identity in your work, but guess what? I'm going to now help you find your identity in working for me. I will make you to serve and work for me. I will bring you back to original intent so that your sole function and purpose and identity isn't in your career, but now it's in him. So now whether we're flipping burgers at McDonald's or we're scrubbing floors or whatever we're doing, whatever your job is, you recognize and realize you're in full-time ministry because you're working for the Lord wherever you're at. Yeah. And your sole identity is not just in what you do work-wise for money, but he's your provider. And in the midst of your work, no matter how hard it is, you understand that ultimately you're working for the Lord even if it's with a dysfunctional boss or people that treat you poorly, whatever your situation is. Now your identity and your value is not found in what you do, but rather who you are and advancing the mission of the kingdom. We still have to work. But there was a greater work that God had in store. And the greater work would be taking care of his garden. The work today of the way we know it by the sweat of our brow in the midst of thorns and thistles was a result of the curse. And everybody said, Amen. Okay, I mean, works hard. But what a lot of people say, man, I love making money. I love my career. I love what I do. And their identity is rooted in that. I'm not telling you all to quit your jobs. We need all the work that happens in the world today. And today, God has changed things up. It's not like it was then, but there's still principles that are applicable today. That wherever you are, fixing a bike, working on a boat, working at the coffee shop, wherever you are, your mission and purpose is much more than making a buck. Your mission and your purpose is to influence 
lives and to take care of the garden. And so to keep, the word keep means to have charge, guard, preserve, protect. It means to be a watchman of what God has created. It means to wait and observe and to save and protect life. It means to be restrained and to take heed at all times. Why? Because there's an enemy in this garden. It means to be kept and be guarded, and it means to walk and live circumspectly. In Ephesians 5, Paul told the Ephesians church to live circumspectly. The term circumspectly in the Greek is the word, the exact word for acrobat. It's the exact word for acrobat. Here's the premise. I walk a tightrope in my life, and if I don't keep my eyes on the prize and, the, and my walk, at all times, I'm in this war. On one side, I have my soul and flesh, and on the other side, the Holy Spirit. I have an enemy, and I have the cares of this world. I'm constantly in the tension of this balance, and if I get ADD and get my eyes off the purpose and the prize, think about a tightrope walker high up in the sky. If you aren't walking circumspectly like an acrobat were in this balance of the tension, at any time you can fall. How many of you are ADD when you drive? Now, just go ahead and admit it. I'm one of those guys, especially when you go up to the hill country. Now, don't ever be ADD when you fly, if you fly a plane. But I'm telling you that if I go to, go to, go to Connecticut or Maine in the fall and go drive through the hills, I'm telling you, if you love to see beautiful countryside while you drive, you better pay attention. I ride a motorcycle, I better pay attention. Because all I need is just two seconds of, oh my gosh, look at that. Yeah. Or look at your phone for a text message. The point is, is if you don't pay attention, this is life. If you do not walk circumspectly, and you don't understand this tightrope lifestyle that we're destined to live in at all times, and you get your eyes off the prize at any time, you can fall. Now, the good news is there's mercy, there's grace, there's compassion. We're here for you. There's process. We'll get you up. We'll help you out, and we're always there for you because he's done it for us. But I want to keep you from those falls. I want to get you out of lifestyles of dysfunction. And that's what it means to be kept. It means I'm kept and I keep. Here's the context. God the Father creates and prepares everything for his children, then puts them in position to enjoy and partake the pleasure and delight of the garden, which is what Eden means. It would require us to serve, work, and be subject to the Creator, and in turn, God would lead and entice us. You know what it means to be enticed? Don't think seductive lust. Think that I'm attracted to and that God is offering pleasure and reward and advantage if I will reciprocate. If I reciprocate to his attraction, he, I, I'm attractive to him. You must be attractive to him because he sent his son to die on a cross. Yeah. Somehow he really loves you because he keeps coming after you. Despite all the things you've ever done or continue to do, he loves you. But he's constantly enticing. That's how I'm so in love all the time. How could a God, a father like that, love a guy like me that's made so many mistakes? I don't deserve it. I can't earn it. I didn't work for it. He just loved me and said, here I am, taken to my reciprocate, respond, and you'll experience my pleasure and delight. But you must reciprocate, and you must respond. So he entices us, and he gives us full access to, the, to what he's created. Most importantly in the garden was the tree of life, and that he would walk and he would talk with us. 
He would put you in charge to guard, preserve, protect what he created. You would act as a watchman who lives circumspectly with our eyes focused on him and his purpose at all times. We would be kept by him. We would take full heed to our lives and the tasks at hand. But there would be an enemy who wants to destroy us and the garden. There's a full-time enemy. If you don't realize daily that we're in a war, you've got to be militant, guys. Come on. I don't know what to tell you. I'm not telling you to be you know, weird, weird or flaky. I'm just telling you the devil hates you and wants to kill you. And if you don't realize there's a devil on after you and your marriage and your life and your mind to get you spun out into dysfunction all the time, then it's going to happen to you. Because the greatest lie of the enemy is to get you to believe he's not there. Or then you can be suited up but just sit on the sidelines. You're part of the team. Oh, great. You call yourself a Christian? Awesome. Just stay on the bench. Because as long as you're on the bench calling yourself a Christian, you're ineffective. So we must be militant. We've got to understand that the only way that the devil can destroy us or the garden is if we give him access. The only way. The, the devil was already defeated in the garden. Adam and Eve gave him access. They gave him right. The devil has no authority in your life or my life. He's already defeated unless you give him access. And once you give him access, he has full right. And that full right is to come into your life and wreak havoc and get you spun out into deception. So what we do here at Rock City is we help you close the door. And that's what Jesus does. Forgiveness. Bitterness will kill you. You got to forgive. Let's cut the roots out of dysfunction and anger and isolation and fear and self-preservation. Let's shut the door to the enemy. Because as soon as we shut the door to the enemy, he's coming out. That's what happened with my friend Pat and I was going to testify one day here. We just went up to pray for the Holy Spirit. Man, God led us through. He started weeping, crying. We just prayed. Man, he started getting pictures of some dysfunctional things in his childhood. And suddenly, he broke open, started weeping, and we went right to forgiveness before anything else. And bam, the enemy that had wreaked havoc for so long, hiding under cover for so long, started coming out. And man, he got set free. Yeah. Didn't that happen? He's going to share that one day. And that's what happens to each of you. It's not a show. It happened to me. Point is, is you cut the root and the enemy's got to go. But now, let's not allow any more roots. Can we raise our children and build a church that's not dysfunctional? Somebody give me an amen. I mean, we got to do this. Tending and keeping can only be done when we're fulfilled and fascinated in our life and we're enticed by him. And there's so many scriptures from the Bible that talk about restoration and reconciliation. There's so many concepts. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Take the step of faith and then you'll understand. Understand the kindness of the Lord and you'll live a life of repentance. If we don't get the fascination wonder component, no wonder you're not hungry. No wonder. That's right. No wonder. No hunger. Everybody say, no wonder. No hunger. <coughs> so there's so many things and experiencing God's love that get me fired up. The number one thing that keeps me hungry and full of wonder is his love and kindness and mercy and grace personally for me and then for you. I'm simply fascinated by how much God constantly loves and cares about me. That's my favorite thing about the Lord, by the way. Not creation, not anything else. Just how could that love be so great that he never backs down and he's always coming after me? I just don't, I'm in awe. My dad, my own parents could never love me that way. In your best day, he's better. 
And so I'm rocked by that. That's first. So I tell you, don't think that I dance and worship and shout and I'm so lit up because I have it all together. Please. I'm dependent. And I'm desperate. And it's out of that place that I'm like, man, how that? Wow, I really messed that up. And the Lord in his kindness was right there to forgive and love. But I have to say yes to the pursuit by reciprocating my love to him and others. And when I do that, something fascinating happens. And if, when I respond and I say yes and I reciprocate my love through worship and adoration to him, I'm lit on fire. Something happens to me and then I do it for you. And when I see you lit up and you lit up and you guys stop being afraid and worried and come out of, when I see all kinds of health in your life and marriages restored, when I see that, I'm, man, who doesn't want to see that? This is exciting for me. This is more exciting than a million-dollar check. I'm not kidding. Billions of dollars. It's priceless. You can't put money on this. You can't buy this anywhere. Let me define wonder for you. Wonder is defined as thinking and speculating curiously. Certainly, you've got to be curious of what God was thinking when he made an eyeball or the process of pregnancy or a marriage or a foot or a body or the stars or the sea or a clownfish or a toucan bird or this, I mean, a mosquito or why a cockroach? I don't understand. But the point is, is at the end of the day, I'm, I'm, I'm curiously fascinated like a child. Remember once when you were fascinated with the world when you were a child? Can you even remotely think back to what that was like? That's how God wants you to live. And so I'm curious about a lot of things, and I ask God a lot of questions. I marvel. It means to be in awe, amazed. It means to have full admiration. I'm in wonder and marvel. It means something that happened that was strange and surprising. I was surprised, astonished, and in turn, it produced admiration. It's the excited emotion of being surprised or when you discover something that puzzles you. It's a miraculous deed or event. Think of being puzzled. I like puzzled. You know why? Because I'm a piece of the puzzle. You're a piece, you're a piece, you're a piece, you're a piece. And I'm puzzled how God could take all of us and make a body of Christ, hands, feet, and we're all puzzled up together. Don't worry, I won't spit on you. <laughs> but the point is, is think I'm puzzled. I'm constantly puzzled which produces a constant amazement. It's not confused. Confusion, confusion is not a part of the definition of wonder, but being puzzled is. And curious, I'm curious, and I'm puzzled about a lot of things, so I ask God a lot of questions. And then when I'm sitting by the water and, and enjoying the Lord in my secret place, I start weeping and crying because I get all this fascinating, wondrous revelation with him that rocks me because I'm positioned to learn. And when God does great things in my life, come on, you all know you can be having a bad day and bam, your tax check comes in. Or you could be having a bad day and a breakthrough comes through with an employer or you land something new or you felt better. And we're so defined by how we feel one day to the next. But when you feel good or you get your breakthrough, oh man, God, yeah, I got promoted. I got a bonus. I got this. I got that. God is so good. But when it's hard, we're in the toilet or in crisis. The point is, is God constantly fascinates you more than one breakthrough to the next he fascinates you with his creation and how much he loves you. And I'm constantly in wonder despite what happens in the world around me. 
So now I'm not affected by the crisis of a job or a circumstance. I'm now only affected by my love and identity in him at all times. And you can live this way. And I didn't just snap my fingers and get it. It was a process of a long lifetime of learning, and I'm still learning, and I'm with you in the process to learn as well. There's so many biblical, biblical concepts, and I'll leave you with this one scripture that defines my message, I believe, as well as any. And it's one scripture that maybe you guys haven't read before. It's not one that I've ever taught on. And that's Psalm 37.3. 37.3, many of you know the next verse. It'd be easy to teach on that one. Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. That's verse four. But let's look at verse three for a minute. Now I look at patterns. Certain things jump off the page when I read that. Trust, do, dwell, feed. I just look at that. I, there's, my, there's my job. Trust, do, dwell, feed. Now trust is much more than just saying yes. Trust is having full confidence. Trust is being bold and secure. Some people see my confidence as cockiness or arrogance or haughtiness. It's not. Trust me. I've been very broken many, many times. And on the inside, I'm completely dependent. But I'm confident in who I am as a son and how I live. That's not pride. I love you. You've, don't you want somebody that has confident authority in who they are to pull you up, not weak, down, broken at the same place? I know you want somebody to identify, and Jesus can identify, and I can identify, but we have to get healthy to pull people up and out, yeah. right? And so trusting in the Lord is also the understanding of I'm safe and secure. Everybody say safe and secure. Another term for trusting is I am careless or carefree due to that trust and security. Now, I'm not careless in the context of haphazard. Everybody say haphazard is not a fruit of the Spirit. So God doesn't want you to live your life haphazard. He wants you to live, though, in a way that I'm not in fear. So careless or carefree means I trust God and I'm at, there's an absence of fear. And that's what it means to trust. To do means to work. It's the same understanding as tending and keeping. To do something means to prepare, produce, and to create a cause and effect in everything that you do. It means to bring about through observation and offering. It means also to be pressed to the point of squeezing life out like an olive. So think of yourself as an olive and the oil only comes out through pressing and squeezing in your life. That's what it means to do. Of course, good is pleasant and agreeable and happy. It means to be prosperous. And then, of course, to dwell is a big one because many of you do not know how to dwell in this place. I'm, I don't mean, I mean in general, not in this place. To dwell means that I'm fully established and content where God has me. And so many of you are living in your tomorrow. You're living in where you're, everywhere else you want to be. You're dreaming about living somewhere else. You don't want to be where God has you. You're complaining. You're negative, And you have no established dwelling and confident trust, which brings peace and stability to your life because you're always living somewhere else in your mind. So what the Lord's trying to show you is I'll make you so content that you can live in Corpus Christi and like it. Now, I just pow to some of you right now in this place. Because you have to understand that dwelling and having peace and godliness with contentment is what God wants. If you can learn to be godly 
and content, you are in for some supernatural gain. And that's what this scripture is saying. And it all goes back to the garden too. Hey, he made it. He already created it. You just have to discover it. He's not waiting. You're not, we're not waiting on him. He's waiting on you. He put you right in what he's created. In fact, can you imagine God's already created what he has in store for you? You just have to discover it. But we're worried and afraid and we spin out and we thwart the process of discovery because it becomes about us. Hence the garden. To feed, now this version says feed on his faithfulness. Other versions say, and be fed by his faithfulness, which both premises apply. God wants you to be fed so that you can feed. He does it in you so he can do it through you. To feed is the understanding of being shepherded, but also being a shepherd. To feed and be fed means that he gives you food and sustenance. He, in a sense, puts you to pasture and enables you to graze green, green pastures, still waters, so that you can bring green pastures and still waters to your life around you. It means that he has lordship over your life, and he rules so that you can rule. He teaches so that you can teach. That's what this means. And the greatest definition of feeding the greatest definition is to associate with as a companion or a special friend. You got to get out of, out of servant understanding and get into friendship with the Lord. Because servants don't know what their master is doing, but a friend does. And that's what this means. It means that I can be fully established wherever God's got me and I can be a companion and a friend with the Lord. And I'm, I wept in that moment because I had this feeling come over me that so many of you don't have friendship with the Lord. And if I can get you to be a friend with God and walk in daily companionship with him, I've done my job. It overrides all religion. It overrides all duty of feeling like you have to because when I'm your friend, I want to be with you. When I'm in love, I can't wait to, to have date nights and spend time with my wife because I'm in love. And that is what I've wanted to teach you more than anything and the premise of God's original intent for our lives. And I'll just conclude with this. There's a garden today, but it's full of darkness, thorns, thistles, and destruction. God wants us to live a life fully dependent and trusting upon him so that we're, in a sense, carefree. Not that I don't have cares, but what did Jesus say about cares? Jesus said, take no thought of them. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Why are you worried? Worry, stress, fear, anxiety, none of that's a fruit of the Spirit. And I know that we're going through it. I know some of you are struggling. But I love you enough to bring a word like this to challenge all of us, including myself, to live this kind of life where we're trusting in the Lord in safety and security, where we're dwelling in the land and established with godliness and contentment, where we're doing, we're making, creating. You know the word to do or to make something good was used five times in Genesis 1? Every time God made something each day, you know what he concluded it with? 
and it was good. Who wants to go to bed at night going, today was good? I do. Let's all stand. You have been listening to a message from David Bendet, Senior Pastor of Rock City Church in beautiful Corpus Christi, Texas. David's prayer is for a deeper understanding of God's love and purpose for your life, and that all of us would grow into a greater awareness of our identity in Christ. Thank you for listening, and until next time, stay fired up!